Looking back on the week that was with a razor wit, irreverent humour and profound political and cultural insights, this is The James McPherson Show. White young people who stole flat-screen televisions from an electrical store during recent Black Lives Matter protests will be charged with theft for having dreadlocks. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot said cultural appropriation was a serious crime for which the city had zero tolerance. White looters found with dreadlocks will be charged, she warned. That hairstyle is not theirs to take. Cultural appropriation is more damaging than looting because property can be replaced, but your identity cannot. She said police would use CCTV footage to identify white looters who were listening to rap music while ransacking an Apple store. You don't see black looters listening to country music, do you? An enraged mayor told local media. So what gives white rioters the idea that they can take iPhones and iPads and laptops in a smash and grab while listening to music that doesn't belong to them? BLM co-founder Patrice Colors Me Crazy scoffed at business owners who complained that looters should be charged for stealing property. Hey, it's only stuff, Ms. Colors Me Crazy said before telling a crowd of angry protesters the source of all social disorder is inequality of stuff. Ms. Colors Me Crazy urged police to do more to stop white protesters calling each other the N-word while setting fire to local businesses. She said, and I quote, People should not be allowed to use hurty words while smashing up the town. And besides, these white rioters wouldn't even know the N-word if they hadn't been listening to our music in the first place. End quote. She was particularly critical of protesters who used the wrong pronoun for a transgendered woman they pelted with rocks for wearing a MAGA hat. It was clearly wrong to yell, kill him. The correct pronoun was her, and if they were unsure, they should have just screamed, kill the bastard, Ms. Colors Me Crazy said. Let me be absolutely clear, ascribing the wrong pronoun to the person you are beating unconscious is a microaggression that the Black Lives Matter community does not endorse. Meanwhile, Mayor Lightfoot urged arsonists to find appropriate culturally sensitive words to shout while burning the city to the ground. She said, F the police, defund the police, or even death to America were good options. What we will not tolerate, she said, are those people who beat small business owners with lumps of timber or who throw Molotov cocktails at police cars whilst saying nothing. Silence is violence. Meanwhile, claims that damage in Kenosha was done by people from outside the community have been confirmed by police who arrested rioters from 44 different cities. Local Democrats were delighted at the news, explaining to local residents who were cowering in their homes, diversity is our strength. Welcome to the James McPherson Show. This is episode 10 on Tuesday, September the 8th, 2020. As people in Victoria continue to suffer under government-imposed COVID-19 restrictions. Two weeks to flatten the curve. That's all they needed. That's what they said. That was months ago. The curve is not flattened, but the economy is. People's confidence is. And of course, last week, police tried to flatten the curve of a pregnant woman for posting on Facebook. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But in the meantime, Daniel Andrews revealed at the weekend he has not seen his mother since Christmas. 
and so is in the same situation as every other Victorian. In other words, he too is having his life ruined by the state premier. He told journalists, none of us have had visitors for a very long time and it's tough, it's really, really tough. It was my mum's birthday recently. I haven't seen her since Christmas. Aww. News Limited journalist Alex Turner-Cohen described the revelation as heartbreaking. And who wouldn't have been moved by the story of yet another Victorian whose life has been made a living hell by the ineptitude of the state premier? I needed to get tissues to wipe away the tears running down my cheeks as I read about the personal toll the lockdown was taking on Daniel Andrews. But it was already 7.45pm and there was no chance I would have been able to get to the corner store and back with tissues before the 8pm curfew imposed by the same Premier whose lockdown was making life so tough for Daniel Andrews. And besides, even if I could have gotten back before the Premier's deadline, I had already used the one visit to the shops per day that the Premier permits Victorians. I couldn't help but think how poor Daniel Andrews would have been able to see his mum if it wasn't for the state Premier stuffing up Victoria's hotel quarantine system. The Premier certainly has a lot to answer for, both to Daniel Andrews and to the rest of us. But Daniel Andrews, like every other Victorian, was stoic. He insisted he was, quote, like lots of other families, and went on to say that he uh, required no special treatment or uh, was going to make no special pleadings for sympathy. Unable to see his mum, he's forced to continue working at his $440,000 a year job until the Premier eases restrictions and allows Victorians just like him to get back to normal. Daniel Andrews can see his mum just as soon as the Premier decides to make it legal to see his mum, just like the rest of us can see our mums just as soon as the Premier decides to make it legal to see our mums. We really are in this together, aren't we? Except, of course, that Daniel Andrews is the Premier making all the rules. So his lament about not having seen his mum because of ridiculous rules that he himself has imposed upon the state is a classic case of boo, do you really think we care who? While we're speaking of Victoria, the arrest of a pregnant woman by Victorian police has gone viral. I'm not going to play you the audio because I'm sure you would have heard it by now, but last Wednesday, Zoe Buller was handcuffed in her living room and arrested for incitement because she had used social media to encourage people to protest against Chairman Dan's harsh lockdown. Uh, police seized her phone and computer and treated her as if she were an enemy of the state for daring to post on Facebook that people should protest Victoria's draconian police state restrictions. Well, I saw that and I shuddered because I'm guilty of the same offence and I now need to turn myself into Victorian police. So, so you should consider this a confession. Uh, last week, I posted on Facebook that Melbourne cyclists should ride their bikes 5.1 kilometres from home. I posted this knowing full well that under current stage four restrictions, anyone who took my advice would be travelling 100 metres further than our rulers permit citizens to go. My ill-conceived social media message obviously encouraged people to flout laws. Actually, sorry, let me, let me say that again. My social media message encouraged people to flout obviously ill-conceived laws. But worse, my Facebook update put the lives of millions of Victorians at risk. I see that now. If my three Facebook friends saw my post, one has already liked it, and if they do as I have incited them to do, well, only God himself and Premier Daniel Andrews, but I repeat myself, know how harmful this would be. I mean, Premier Andrews is literally the only person who knows why it's harmful to travel 5.1 kilometres from home, but not five kilometres from home. As the Bible says, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher 
than our ways. And of the increase of his government, there will be no end. But I digress. I, I, I admit to typing the offending message on my laptop, and I agree to voluntarily hand it, of, of course, hand it over to officers when they arrive to cuff and arrest me in my pajamas. I, I further admit that I used my iPhone to repeatedly check how many people had liked my post. Still only one person. And, of course, I'll make my iPhone available to forensic detectives as well. I, I assure Victoria Police that I will not resist arrest. After all, I've not resisted anything to this point. I didn't resist when you told me I wasn't allowed to go to work. I didn't resist when you told me I wasn't allowed to go outside after 8 p.m. And I didn't resist when you said I couldn't visit my mum on Mother's Day. Speaking of whom, mum is now beside herself with worry that she may have committed an offence by liking my Facebook post. And I just need to know, is is that deemed an act of aiding and abetting in Victoria? Um, she insists she liked it by mistake while trying to log on to Words with Friends, if, if that um, helps. I, I just I, The reason I need to know is is I just, I just got to know whether I should warn her to put a dressing gown on before she's rounded up by Victorian police and sent to Daniel Andrews Gulag. Liberal Senator Jim Molan went on Sky Television last week warning that China was currently working hard to double its nuclear warhead stockpile. Senator Molan should know a bit about international affairs, particularly concerning military matters, having himself been a major general in the Australian Army. The senator warned that China's increasing nuclear arsenal made peace and security in the region all the more precarious. And it got me thinking. You know, while communist China has been busy doubling its nuclear warheads, what have we in the woke West been busy doing? Well, just like the Chinese, we too have been very, very busy, haven't we? We've been busy cancelling Kuhn cheese. We've been busy cancelling Gone with the Wind from the movies. We've been busy tearing down statues. We've been busy changing our email signatures so that workmates know our gender pronouns. We've been very busy painting great gay crossings and expanding the definition of woman. Uh, we've been working very, very hard to make sure Asians are well represented on MasterChef and that redskin lollies do not cause offence. Woke, like most words the left employs, means the exact opposite. While we've been asleep, fascinating, fantasising about imagined genders and dreaming about structural racism, our foes have been wide awake doing actual things like spreading a deadly virus around the world, cracking down on democracy in Hong Kong, uh, increasing their military bases and doubling the number of nukes aimed at us. If and when we in the West ever do awake from our social justice-induced snooze, we will wake to a very different world. Woke is not realising that you've been using the wrong pronoun and changing your email signature to reflect that. Woke is realising there are now twice as many nuclear missiles pointing directly at you and doing something about it. We in the West aren't even close to woke. The UK's first fully decorated Pride train made its inaugural journey last month staffed entirely by an LGBTQ crew. The biggest gay flag reportedly ever seen in the UK was painted on the side of the 11 carriage train which travelled from London to Manchester. The inside of the train was filled with gay posters and gay literature for passengers. The fabulously gay train conductor used a sparkly intercom to give passengers regular gay related facts and information as well as announcing which glittering station the gay train was pulling into next. 
And if all of that is not queer enough for you, passengers were required to jump to their feet and dance to Kylie Minogue's The Locomotion every 10 minutes of the journey. Admittedly, I've made that last bit up. But then again, I don't know that they didn't do that. It it might have been YMCA or it might have been nothing at all. Who knows? Launched by Avanti West Coast, who run routes from London to Birmingham, Manchester, Liverpool, Wales and Scotland, the gay train was unveiled two months after the end of Pride Month, which just goes to show that not even gay trains can run on time. The Wokemobile's inaugural journey reportedly ran without incident, though some passengers complained that a gay train shouldn't have to run on straight tracks. <laughs> a spokesperson for Avanti West Coast said the gay train was a sign of the steps we are taking toward a more inclusive, diverse and equal society. Right, because nothing says inclusion like a gay train staffed entirely by homosexuals. One wonders how they ensured the crew were fully LGBT plus compliant. I mean, how could you be sure that the guard was really a transsexual? or that the customer service woman handing you your coffee was really a lesbian. What sort of risk assessment did they do? But what better way to demonstrate that one's sexuality is no longer something that should keep you from certain jobs than by demanding applicants declare their sexual preference in order to know whether they qualify for certain jobs. Police, I'm sure, are already gearing up for when the train is tagged. It doesn't matter what kind of graffiti. Graffiti on the gay train will, of course, be denounced as a hate crime. The train crew will probably all become sick with PTSD and activists will insist that as a result, from now on, all trains should be painted with rainbows. The stupidity of a gay train should be clear for everyone to see. When the bosses at Avanti West Coast realise that gay people have always been able to travel on normal trains... How silly are they going to feel for wasting so much time and effort creating a gay one? Of course, Avanti West Coast's pride train has nothing to do with equality or diversity or inclusion, but is rather a corporate orgy of intersectionality that makes fun of the very people it purports to represent. The gay community has spent 50 years fighting to be perceived as just like everyone else only for a bunch of social justice warriors to come chugging along and turn them into a five-star cringe circus train. Avanti West Coast are not bringing inclusion. They're treating gays as if they're freaks that need everyone to throw rainbows at them and tell them how special they are just to get on a train. I used to uh, work as a journalist and news is pretty simple to write. The introduction must be short and sharp and tell the reader what happened, preferably in less than 25 words. But CNN prefer to camouflage the news rather than to report it. Take this impressive piece of verbal contortion from a CNN report on August 31. I quote, Two Chicago police officers pulled over a person suspected of having a gun and all three ended up hospitalised with gunshot wounds. According to CNN's headline, the act of pulling a suspect over resulted in everyone just getting gunshot wounds. Police pull over a car and yada, 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 and everyone ended up shot. What happened between officers pulled over a person and all three ended up hospitalised doesn't seem particularly important to CNN's incurious reporter. There they all were, suspect and police officers gathered together on the curb when bullets started falling from the sky like rain, and all three ended up hospitalised with gunshot wounds. I mean, 
Did the officers shoot themselves? Did they trip and fall on some bullets? Maybe it was those damn magic gunshot wound fairies playing their harmless pranks again. Or, and this is just a wild guess, maybe the man stopped by police, pulled a gun, shooting and wounding two officers before himself being shot by a third officer who came to his colleague's rescue. But of course, you'd need to read eight paragraphs of CNN's report. Bear in mind, most people don't read more than the first sentence of any news story. But you'd have to read the first eight paragraphs of CNN's before discovering that the armed perpetrator opened fire first, taking out two police, and was then shot by a third officer arriving at the scene as backup. Imagine the mental contortions it took to write CNN's opening sentence, doing everything linguistically possible to avoid saying that a person had a gun and shot two police with it. Passive voice is discouraged when writing news headlines. Unless, of course, it's to draw attention away from the fact that a suspect shot two police officers. And why would CNN want to disguise the simple fact of what happened? The fact that police can be ambushed at a run-of-the-mill traffic stop doesn't fit the CNN narrative. The fact that a member of the public shot police rather than police shooting members of the public, black ones, doesn't fit the CNN narrative. The fact that policing is a difficult and dangerous job doesn't fit the CNN narrative. So what do you do when actual facts from actual events don't conform to the pre-approved news narrative? Well, you twist and contort and you duck and you weave and you stand on your head and you call it news. But we know it's not. It's just CNN. Increasingly around the world, in the West at least, Public officials are being held in contempt because they are so fixated on things that really don't matter. Much like I just spoke about, we have local city councils that can't make public transport run on time, but they can paint a rainbow crossing to promote LGBT lifestyles uh, on the road that you drive on. They can't fill in a pothole, but they, they can promote gay rights all across the road. And uh, so it was with great joy that I listened to Nebraska resident Ander Christensen make a speech to officials in his city at Lincoln City Council, um, asking them if they would uh, do the hard work of renaming boneless chicken wings in order to make the community safer. Here's his speech. It's well worth listening to this very important issue uh, of course, it was all tongue-in-cheek, but the council had to sit and listen to him as if he were serious because this is the kind of stuff that councils, not just in Lincoln but all around the Western world, are getting involved in. And good on uh, Ander Christensen for pointing out how stupid and facile it all is. Here's his speech. It goes for two minutes, but it's well worth listening to on this very, very important issue. Thomas, I won't take up too much of your time here. My name is Andrew Christensen. Uh, I live at 1212 Twin Ridge Road. Lincoln has the opportunity to be a social leader in this country. We have been casually ignoring a problem that has gotten so out of control that our children are throwing around names and words without even understanding their true meaning and treating things as, as though they're normal. I go into nice family restaurants and I see people throwing this name around and pretending as though everything is just fine. I'm talking about boneless chicken wings. I propose that we as a city 
Remove the, excuse me, I'm trying to, Yeah. excuse me, Sir. come on. I propose that we as a city remove the name boneless wings from our menus and from our hearts. These are our reasons why. Number one, nothing about boneless chicken wings actually come from the wing of a chicken. We would be disgusted if a butcher was mislabeling their cuts of meats, but then we go around and pretending as though the breast of the chicken is its wing. Number two, boneless chicken wings are just chicken tenders, which are already boneless. I don't go to order boneless tacos. I don't go and order boneless club sandwiches. I don't ask for boneless auto repair. It's just what's expected. And then number three, we need to raise our children better. Our children are raised being afraid of having bones attached to their meat. That's where meat comes from. It grows on bones. We need to teach them that the wing of a chicken is from a chicken and it's delicious. I propose that we rename boneless wings in the city of Lincoln. We can call them buffalo style chicken tenders. We can call them wet tenders. We can call them saucy nugs or trash. We can take these steps and show the country that where we stand and that we understand that we've been living a lie for far too long. And we know it because we feel it in our bones. Thank you. Thank all the I would like to just comment here. For the record, that's my son. <laughs> Wanted. Envoy to advise government on trade and to promote opportunities for the UK in emerging markets post-Brexit. The successful applicant will have voted yes to gay marriage and preferably have marched at a recent gay and lesbian Mardi Gras. He or she, or they in the case of a gender-neutral applicant, will be pro-abortion, with special consideration given to applicants who have actually had one. Experience trading in climate doom and gloom is essential. The successful candidate must be able to endure a prolonged political squeal from a woman without looking at his watch. A dislike of blue ties and of Donald Trump are highly desirable. Actual skills would be a bonus, but are not necessary. Silly Tony Abbott. Assuming a role representing the UK in trade required him to be an expert in, you know, trade rather than an expert on diversity and inclusion. Didn't the former Prime Minister know that when applying for a job advising on trade, how he voted on gay marriage was far more relevant than his experience in trade. He really is a dinosaur, you know. Only a knuckle-dragging Neanderthal would imagine qualifications meant more than views. In 2020, correct views, by which we mean leftist views, are the qualification. How will Mr Abbott negotiate fabulous trade deals if he is not an LGBTQ ally? The simple answer is he cannot. Conservative UK politician Caroline Noakes told reporters, Abbott has very poor views on LGBTQ rights, and I just don't think this is a man who should be anywhere near our board of trade. Well, if that's the standard, then the Queen is not fit to advise herself. The Church of England, of which she is still the head, insists marriage is between a man and a woman. Labour trade spokeswoman Emily Thornberry said, I am disgusted that Boris Johnson thinks this offensive, leering, cantankerous, climate change denying, Trump worshipping misogynist is the right person to represent our country overseas. What I think she meant, but was unable to say for choking on woke, was 
I am disgusted that Boris Johnson thinks this Oxford-educated Rhodes Scholar, who, as Prime Minister of Australia, successfully negotiated free trade deals with China, Japan and South Korea, is the right person to represent our country overseas. Her Labour leader, Sir Keir Stammer, told Sky News, I don't think he's the right person for the job, and if I was the Prime Minister, I wouldn't appoint him. Then again, Sir Keir had no concerns about Jeremy Corbyn. So as a judge of character, he makes a very fine opposition leader and likely will for many years to come. First Minister of Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon, told Sky News, if I had anything to do with that decision, he wouldn't be a trade envoy, by which she meant, as First Minister of Scotland, I don't get to do much. Actor Sir Ian McKellen of Sky Lord of the Rings fame said Tony Abbott ought not advise the government on trade because of his views on abortion, climate change, gay people and women. He forgot to mention Mr Abbott's views on Black Lives Matter, plastic straws, border control, the Brisbane Broncos coaching vacancy and strawberry flavoured gelato, all of which would likely disqualify Mr Abbott from having any insights of value on international trade. Sir McKellen uh, signed a letter that began, as committed equality and environmental activists, we urge the government to reconsider its proposed appointment of Tony Abbott as a trade envoy to the UK Board of Trade. Well, who better to judge a trade envoy based on LGBTQ views than an environmental activist? So, sorry, I mean a committed environmental activist. How dare you? You'd think Gandalf would have had the last word on the issue, but you'd be forgetting a bitter character who failed to grab his international role after leaving Kirribilli. Kevin Rudd tweeted, just what you want as your pin-up boy for a modern globalising post-Brexit Britain. A rolled gold misogynistic climate change denialist pioneer of 21st century knighthoods of the antipodes. What on earth were the British government thinking? Well, uh, Mr Rudd, the answer, of course, is that they weren't thinking of you. Well, finally... Last Friday, Downing Street confirmed Mr Abbott's appointment as trade advisor. So it seems actual skills and experience still count for something. Just. Well, that's all we've got time for for this episode of the James McPherson Show. I hope you enjoyed it. Have a great week, and I will see you next Tuesday. Our episodes drop every Tuesday. Make sure you subscribe to the Good Source podcast so you never miss them. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you next Tuesday. The James McPherson Show is a production of The Good Source, written and presented by James McPherson. To watch, listen to, or read more media without the SJW narratives or PC fact filter, visit goodsource.news. That's good, S-A-U-C-E dot news. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show. 